You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. I did it again. I did it again. I left my notes on the desk on the other side of the room and had to quickly run across during the intro without pulling the laptop down. I always forget that this is plugged in, that the headset is plugged in. And I almost pulled the whole setup down, the laptop, the lights, the lot of it. Uh, But yeah, we got there in the end. Um, (laughs) But I almost did it again. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeo. I want to give a big shout out to those joining us uh, on the live stream at the moment to the Somerset Guna, uh, one of our channel members who says, morning all, show Harry your support by tapping the like button. Yes, please do so. Uh, big hello to Bad Boy and to Nodas Madas as well in the chat. I uh, hope you're all well. Um, what are we going to discuss today? Um, well, first of all, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up for the show that is coming up a bit later on. Uh, for those of you who watch us on YouTube, it will be streamed live at 4.30. And for those of you who listen to the podcast, it will be available first thing tomorrow morning. But I'll be joined by Dan Mountney, uh, formerly of the Islington Gazette, has plenty of experience of covering Arsenal at close quarters uh, and is now with the Guna fanzine. So Dan will be joining me. We'll be having a discussion around some of the key topics uh, involving our club at the moment. Uh, So come and join us for that one. Big hello to Liam Rushworth, to Steve Stone, to Talau and to Russ Morgan, all in the chat as well. Right, uh, let's begin by discussing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, I think we can all agree that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's form this season hasn't been uh, quite what we had hoped for. You know, we signed him down to a new contract. Everybody was absolutely delighted about that. Um, everybody was over the moon. Everybody was thrilled because as I I felt, and I made it clear on this podcast a number of times actually uh, during the course of the, the summer transfer window, the most important bit of business that Arsenal were going to do was to was to tie Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang down. He's been so key to Arsenal in the last couple of years. I know it hasn't been the most successful uh, few seasons, but can you just imagine where we would have been without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, without his quality in front of goal? You know, we're talking about a guy with an incredible goal record uh, since joining the club. Maybe not the most natural of leaders when you're talking about, you know, whether or not he should be the captain. You know, but somebody who has previously led by example, I don't think anybody can dispute that. Yes, it hasn't gone uh, very well for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang this season. But as I keep saying to you guys, I am confident that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will turn it around. We know the qualities there. We know the abilities there. And and if you look back through his career historically, he has always scored goals. Another thing I always say is that this is the first real blip that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has had uh, since signing uh, for Arsenal. And we've got to put that into context as well. But he's given an interview, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He's spoken to Sky Sports about it. He's been talking about his form this season. And I thought he was really, um, really, really open and honest. And let's touch on what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang had to say. He said, from the beginning of this season, I was struggling a lot. But I think this is part of football. Certainly is. 
We gave a lot at the end of the season to win the FA Cup and to qualify for the Europa League because it was really important for the club. Sometimes you have ups and downs and you have to manage as best you can. I tried my best and until now, it was not the best performance for me. I'm still positive. I think I can turn this around. He also went on to admit that he found it quite difficult to lead the side at a time when he knew he himself was not performing to the standards that he'd set previously. He said, it's really hard to manage both, but you have to be as positive as you can because the team needs you. I always try to give my best, not only on the pitch, but also in the dressing room for the guys. Sometimes it's hard and maybe you're not in the right mood, but you have to find a way to change it and give positive vibes for the guys. At the moment, we are playing well and we have to follow this way. If we win the couple of games that are coming, we can turn around the situation. We are not so far from the top six. So this is the moment to be back in the competition. So Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, despite talking about the fact that he feels his own performances have been below par, um, you know, it's... um, I'm sorry, I've just I've been distracted by one of the comments. I, <laughs> I, what I was trying to say is, although his performances have been under par, um, he acknowledges that Arsenal are playing really well at the moment. And that is a positive, of course. And, you know, if you think about sort of how our performances have, have taken an upturn in the last few weeks, imagine what they would be like with a fully uh, firing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as well. So, you know, there's there's more to come from this Arsenal side. You know, we all acknowledge that the start of the season wasn't ideal. There were lots of problems. Uh, but I actually like the fact that Aubameyang's given this this um, this uh, interview because there were a lot of people starting to question whether we were having a, a Mesut Ozil 2.0 in the sense of, is it someone who a lot of the fans feel just has dropped his intensity and is less um, caring about the situation since... Uh, signing a new contract. I don't think that was ever the case with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I don't even think it was the case with, with Mesut Ozil either, but there were people questioning that, questioning the commitment levels. And um, I think this this was a good interview from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to give. And I, I think the most interesting point is the bit about having to lead a team and always be the, the standard setter um, and always sort of, be that vocal leader behind the scenes when you yourself know that you're not quite at the top of your game and your teammates probably know that as well. Um, Well, they definitely know that. And so to then be in that position where you're having to demand from others, it can be an awkward space to be in, can't it? You know, you're trying to demand from others, but you know yourself, you're not at that level. So yeah, it is, um, it is a, a difficult situation to be in. I think we can all acknowledge that. And I think it was a very good, honest and open interview uh, from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and one that I think should relieve some of the pressure on him uh, from some of the fans. Uh, big hello to Liam Rushworth, uh, to Steve Stone, uh, to Default TY in the chat, to Keir Ellis, uh, to Anton Pashkulev. Welcome uh, to the show. Um, some of you saying good evening. I'm assuming you're on the other side of the world. Um, Where's Marco Williams? There he is. Marco Williams says, yeah, finally, I caught a live stream. Afternoon, Gooners. Welcome to the program, mate. And uh, Sean M., one of our members, says, afternoon, guys. Same as that, Marco. Um, so I'm assuming you guys normally watch on the catch-up. But um, yeah, welcome to a live stream. Um, what else have we got here? 
Uh, no das Maras says you can tell Harry is Greek. This is the longest two minutes in world history. We are never on time. Uh, Aaron Matthew says big up Harry from sunny Dubai. Leaders though might go through personal adversity. Will always find ways to inspire the team. Nonetheless, that should be his legacy at Arsenal. It's a good point. You know, they should find ways to to inspire the team, even when they're not at the best. I agree that natural leaders do that. As much as I love Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I love everything he's done for Arsenal. I love the way he's performed since joining the club overall. I think we can all agree that he isn't that natural leader, though. He isn't the the Patrick Vieira, the Tony Adams. He isn't a John Terry. He's in a, a Rio Ferdinand, a Roy Keane. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not that type of player for me. And that is somebody's character. You either have that or you don't. You know, it's a character trait. I don't think you should knock people for not having it. Um, you know, it's just some people just don't. It's it's a natural thing. And that's my kind of issue with Aubameyang being named as the captain. You know, Aubameyang was given the captaincy very much with the view of this guy currently is our best player at the moment. He leads by example week in, week out. Um, and that's why he is suited to the role. Now, you could argue that in terms of, you know, in terms of his other attributes, his other traits, maybe he's not the best suited to the role. But that's what the club decided to do. I've said it before. Now that you've you've made that decision, now that you've given him the captain's armband, you can't reverse it. I don't think you can't just pull it away from him uh, and say, we don't think you're fit to be the captain anymore or X, Y, Z is is uh, more suited to the role. So we're going to throw the captain's armband that way. You can't do that now. Um, so you're... Whether, you know, I don't know if this is the right term, but you're kind of stuck with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang now as the club captain. And and when he's not performing um, at the top of his game, we've just got to accept that. He's not going to go around the pitch beating his chest like uh, Tony Adams would, like Patrick Vieira would, shaking people up, trying to get the maximum out of them. Some will argue, well, then he shouldn't be the captain. And I actually agree. I don't ever think that, I didn't ever think that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was captain material based on his character not on his performances because his performances have been pretty good overall I'm talking about since he signed for the club so that's where I am on that but as I said you you can't change that now that decision has been made and I think you've just got to move on and accept that if he's not leading by example then you know you're probably whether he's doing that or not you're still not going to get that other element that old school um, style captain uh, that we so often refer to, though they, those players very rarely exist anymore. I think, um, let alone within one football club. I mean, how many captains can you count now in the Premier League that you would say are sort of in the same mould as a Tony Adams or a Patrick uh, Patrick Vieira in the sense of their leadership style? There are very few. You could probably count them on one hand. Um, and so maybe we're expecting something that just is so difficult to come by nowadays. Uh, and maybe our expectations of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as a captain need to be readjusted. Um, but that's just uh, my view on that. SLD answers news on the Martinelli injury. We heard that he should be back within training, uh, back in training, sorry, within a number of days. Uh, it looks like the Crystal Palace game is going to come too soon for Gabriel Martinelli, but he could being contention for that game against Newcastle United on Monday night. So that's a that's a positive. Uh, going back to Aubameyang's comments, Steve Stone says it must be exhausting trying to lift uh, a struggling team as a captain 
when off form yourself agreed uh, Mohammed says I kind of wish he did the interview when things were at their lowest fair point um Liam Rushworth says Oba deserves time to prove to us that he is still amazing um Marco says, sorry, but I'm standing by Aubameyang. Out of all the signings, he's been the most successful post-Sanchez. Bro scored 20-plus goals three seasons straight with our midfield. Yeah, great points. Uh, fantastic points. A couple of you com confirming in the chat uh, the news on Gabriel Martinelli and the fact that uh, he is uh, close to returning to training. Xander says he's in training today, um, which um, I'm going to trust you on that. I haven't, I haven't seen anything yet. Um, let's see, uh, what else we've got here? A uh, big hello to Chris Pantelli, uh, referring to, uh, the fact that Dan Mountney will be joining me later on, formerly of the Islington Gazette. It says, good afternoon, Harry. Hope you're doing well. As a local lad like yourself, I used to buy the Islington Gazette every Thursday and look forward to reading it. But now I live in the Midlands. I can't. I'm sure you can read most of it online, Chris. Check it out. Uh, Melford James says, morning, Harry from Toronto, Canada. Love your content, Melford. Thank you so much. Harry Land, another one of our members, says, Oba isn't a robot. Most strikers go through goal droughts. He carried us for a long time, so it's only right other players step up and carry him until he recaptures his form. He'll be back. I agree with that. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Zissi on Facebook says, form is temporary. Class is permanent. So it goes. Now with Partey and Martinelli coming back, Saka settling on the right and the addition of Smith Rowe and Laka hitting some form. Oba will come good. Everything is now in place for him to shine. I agree. Uh, Keir Ellis says, get that video like chat. Come on, you gunners. Yes, smash the like button if you haven't already. Is uh, very, very much appreciated. Uh, Talal says, if we can get Aubameyang firing, we can make a sustained bid for the top four. Uh, completely agree. Uh, Graham Sutherland says Ober is more club captain than team captain. That's a really interesting point and a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. Uh, big thank you to Graham for that. Um, Anton questioning Mikel Arteta's. Mikel Arteta didn't give Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang the captaincy. Let's let's remember that. He says, so Arteta's plan to change the mentality of the club is to give the captaincy to someone who doesn't have the mentality. Aubameyang was not given the captaincy by Mikel Arteta. Aubameyang was given the captaincy after that whole Granite Xhaka thing. That's when he got the captaincy. Um, yes, Mikel has the power to change that. But as I've already said, I, d I don't see how you can give the captain or the, one of the your senior players can be given the captaincy who at the time is scoring goals for fun has just won you the FA Cup pretty much single-handedly with a brace in both the semi and the final, has been so good, so key uh, to the side. I don't see how, as Mikel Arteta, you can come into the club and say, sorry, Pierre, I know you're scoring 20-plus goals a season. I know you're leading by example week in, week out, but I don't think you have the mentality, so I'm going to take that captaincy away. You'd have pissed the guy right off, to, to put it quite frankly. And, you know, there was obviously... A lot of concern about what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's future was going to be. Was he going to sign on the dotted line, extend his stay at Arsenal? That would have been another negative in, in, you know, in his mind when he would have been weighing up his options. So I don't think you could have, you, Mikel could have come in and take, taken it away from him. Um, and, you know, yes, this is a blip. Yes, it's not going great, but it is what it is. You know, where do you go from here? Do you, 
you now decide that he's not the right man and hand it to someone else? Again, I think you piss the player right off. And I think it's just unnecessary right now. I think people can be leaders on the pitch without wearing the captain's armband. So I'm not too fussed about who has it, if I'm completely honest. Um, Banos says uh, KT deserves the armband. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people will agree with that. And, you know, Marco agrees. He says Kieran Tierney should take over from Aubameyang. Um, you know, I I would like to see Kieran Tierney one day captain in the Arsenal, but I don't think he's been there long enough yet. Um, I don't think we need to add that pressure to him um, at a time when we're just starting to see the very best form from him. And and again, I, I don't want to rumble things with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That's how I look at it. I know people will say that managers need to be ruthless, make, need, to make big, need, need to make big decisions, big calls. But for me, that is one that would be counterproductive rather than productive. Uh, ben Taylor, going back to my comment on, on the old school captains, he says Henderson is probably the only old school captain I can think of. I completely agree with that. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Ashton Ormond uh, says people used to trash Fabregas for not being Patrick Vieira or Tony Adams, but he was a good captain. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. That there are different captaincy styles, aren't there? There are captains in my opinion. There are two types. Look, you either go with the guy who is a natural born leader, is the most vocal, is popular in the dressing room, keeps people performing to a certain standard or failing that. If there's no standout candidate, you go with your best player. Uh, because that player more often than not will lead by example. Fabregas was that second type of captain, someone who would more often than not lead by example. And Fabregas cared. You know, a lot of people kicked off about the way he left to go to Barcelona and all that. And it wasn't ideal, um, obviously. But I don't think you can sit with your hand on your heart and say that during Cesc Fabregas's Arsenal career, he didn't care about the team. He didn't show passion. He, there was no desire. There was no fight. I think that's just nonsense. And that's just people bitter about the way he moved on. But it's a great point. You know, there are different types of captains. Uh, you know, I thought Robin Van Persie was a decent captain. But again, Robin wasn't the Patrick Vieira, Tony Adams type. But he was someone that you could rely on on the football pitch to deliver a certain level of performance. And so often he dragged us through games that, we had no right to win. And and that's the set that, that same thing I think can be said of uh Ces Fabregas. Uh Xander makes this comment on um on Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. He says his lack of goals has only highlighted the weaker side of his game. The opposite of lacquer when he isn't scoring, he offers a lot of other aspects. It doesn't mean Ober is rubbish now, though. The goals will come. Yeah, I Aubameyang is a, is a certain type of player. We we all know that. We all recognize that. And and so why people are so surprised. Um, by the fact that he doesn't offer much else other than goals is beyond me. He's never offered much more than goals. It's the way he is. You know, there's been lots of great strikers over the years that have offered absolutely jack shit to the football team, apart from putting the ball in the back of the net. And and you just have to accept that some strikers are like that. Great. Look, if, if you if you do bring more to the table, then happy days. But there are lots of strikers that you could say the same about. So it's not, it can be an issue when the team aren't playing well as a whole, but it's not the be or an end all for me. At the end of the day, he's putting the team to score goals. And if he does that, nobody's going to say a word. Has he been doing it lately with the regularity we would have liked? No, he hasn't. But we know he's got the quality to get there and I'm sure he will get there again. Um, 
Russ Morgan says, Oba is no captain. He wouldn't front up to the cameras when we were playing badly. Yeah, this is a good point. And, and this I agree with. I feel like it was poor form from Aubameyang to avoid that kind of responsibility during that really shit period we were going through and allow some of the youngsters to front up to their cameras. If I was the captain, I'd be saying, nope, I'm the skipper. This is partly my responsibility. I'm going to front up and I'm going to I'm going to handle the media. Um, and yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I, and I can understand why people see that as a bit of a black mark against um against Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in this whole captaincy debate. AM says the issue is not the drought. It's the action and attitude during the drought to inspire others. Another indication in the decline of the club, Arsenal is a low priority to the Cronkies. I'm not sure what the Cronkies necessarily have to do with the, kind of the attitude of the players on the pitch. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't particularly have any affection uh, towards the Cronkies. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's a little bit harsh to blame them maybe, uh, on this. Um, let's go to some more of your, uh, questions, uh, in the chat. Uh, Liam Rushworth asks, is the Eve Bissouma rumors true? Uh, to my understanding, Arsenal see him as a potential suitor for the future, not for this transfer window. If a deal is going to be done, it will be done in the summer. Um, my understanding is that he's somebody who's on the list, if you like, somebody that Arsenal are looking at. Uh, we heard reports from Chris Wheatley at football.london uh, that contact had been made with Yves Bissouma's agent, um, that he enjoys a close relationship with uh, Gabrielle from their days at Lille, that he is interested uh, personally in a move uh, to Arsenal, but if a deal is going to happen, it will only happen in the summer. So that information comes from Chris Wheatley at Football London. I'm not taking credit for that. Um, that is uh, what Chris's report said um, on there, and, and Chris also put out a brilliant interview today, an exclusive interview with Unai Emery, uh, talking about his Arsenal days. And I, th I think we'll probably touch a little bit on that uh, during our second podcast today. So stay tuned for that. Aaron says, afternoon, Harry, and the chat. Great show. Been listening since March last year and has got me through the lockdown. So thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much, mate, uh, for your continued support. And as I always say, I'm delighted when I hear that this helped people, uh, this podcast is helping people get through uh, a really weird time at the moment. Big hello to uh, former Arsenal man, Kevin Campbell. He says, hi, Harry. Hope you'll well have a super day. You too, mate. Thanks for joining us in the live chat. As always, really appreciate it. Um, Marco Williams asks, is Partey starting in Thursday's game? Now, um, we don't know uh, is the answer to that. We don't know if Thomas Partey is going to start. We know that he will uh, or we understand that barring any setbacks, uh, Thomas Partey will be available for selection. Whether Mikel Arteta decides to risk him from the start or not uh, remains to be seen. So we're going to have to wait and see on that. I can't give you... Um, a clear answer on that. Me personally, I don't give an Arsenal's decent form at the moment. And the fact that we don't feel like we're desperate, like we were going into that Spurs game, I would probably leave him on the substitutes bench, if I'm honest. Um, I'll probably leave him on the bench, look to incorporate him later on in the game into the side with a 15, 20 minute cameo. If obviously the circumstances allow, it obviously depends on the game state. 
Um, but I'd probably look to incorporate him late on in the game, if possible, uh, with the view to him being ready to start against Newcastle on Monday. Um, that's that's my take on it. Um, but of course, we don't know yet. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts. I equally wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. But in answer to your question, there is no, um, there is no, we don't know. We don't know. Um, only Mikel Arteta knows uh, whether he will uh, he will be fit enough to start that game from the beginning. Uh, big hello to Chima. Uh, hi, Harry. You're doing a great job. Thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, just looking through some of the rest of your comments. Uh, hold fire on the questions. I'll, I'll come uh, to those in a minute. Uh, just want to give you guys... Um, a little bit of a heads up. If you haven't already, make sure you smash that like button. I can see there's over uh, almost 200 of you watching us right now across the multiple platforms. That's across Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and uh, YouTube at the minute. If you are watching us on YouTube in particular, make sure you hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And uh, if you're interested, you can now become a Chronicles of Aguna member. You probably see some of the guys in the chat. They've got the little icon next to their uh, next to their screen names when they're putting comments in there. That is because they are members of the channel. If you want some more information on how that all works, what the perks are um, and why we're doing it, then click on the link in the description. Uh, it will take you to a page that explains the three different tiers that we have. You can decide which, if any, uh, suit you. And of course, if you wish to support the podcast and assist me in providing you with even more content than we're already doing at the moment, uh, that's how you can do it. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Really appreciate it. Um, right. Let's go back to the live chat box. Um, did -did 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 -did. We'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the transfer stuff later on. There's a couple of questions in there. Um, about it let me pick up one or two actually uh, somerset guna says isco loan still on the cards i don't think it's one that arsenal are persisting with i've got to be honest um that's my understanding uh, i think that it was talked about and he is somebody that real madrid want to move on i'm not 100 sure that arsenal are actually interested in uh bringing isco to the club right now though uh that's that's my uh, honest view. That's what I, I believe to be the case right now. I saw a question about Manchester United somewhere, and I do want to touch on this because I did put it down in my notes to discuss Manchester United's uh, rise to the top of the Premier League and, and maybe how Arsenal could potentially follow that blueprint. I know we don't have the financial muscle of Manchester United right now. Um, forgive me, whoever put that question in i can't find it in the live chat because it's constantly updating uh but i think it was something along the lines of is manchester united's position at the top of the premier league sustainable and and, and only time will tell won't it only time will tell but a lot of people gave Oli Gunnar solskjaer uh, a lot of stick me included um i didn't think he was cut out for the job i called him a pe teacher i felt like Oli was someone who was just so overwhelmed and delighted to be in the job that actually didn't have the authority uh, necessarily to to oversee this this group of egos um, and develop them into a good football team. What Oli's done, though, I think, is just kept it simple. He's 
pick the defence and a defensive midfield. I think that's the most important part of this Man United side right now. That double pivot of McTominay and Fred or Matic and Fred or whichever two of the three he goes with. But that double pivot has been key in allowing the Rashfords, the Martials, the Bruno Fernandeses, the Pogbas to go on and play their football. And if you've got attacking talent, most of the time, you just need to take the shackles off. And I feel like at Arsenal, under Mikel Arteta, at times we've struggled with that. The shackles have been on. And as a result, players, attacking players, creative players, expressive players, haven't been able to go out there and do their thing and impact games. Oli's done the complete opposite. Credit where credit is due. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has turned Manchester United around and they're at the top of the Premier League with a game to come uh, against Liverpool at the weekend that could be big, uh, really big uh, for both sides. So is it sustainable, their position at the top of the Premier League? Only time will tell. Uh, but I think Oli is a good example of a manager who hasn't really tried to overcomplicate things, hasn't tried to bog his team down in too many tactics. He's built a foundation upon which he's good creative attacking players obviously that cost an absolute fortune so it's not something that everybody can mirror but he's done that and he's allowed them to then go on and express themselves and that's what's winning them football matches at the moment big thank you to Melford James who's just signed up to our membership scheme while we're live on air Melford thank you uh, so much mate really really appreciate your support um make sure you click on the link uh, in the community tab there's a members only post that will take you to the discord server where uh, you can uh, join us as we're discussing arsenal uh, around the clock at the moment uh, so do check that out um if the link has expired i'm not sure because they only last 24 hours but what I will do is after this podcast, I will go and put a new one in there just to be safe uh, for anybody else that signs up as well. Uh, but Melford, thank you so much, mate. Uh, and welcome. Welcome uh, to the membership scheme. Um, going back to the Man United thing, Xander says Man United winning the title depends on Bruno staying fit until the end of the season. Yeah, Bruno's been massive. Uh, Russ Morgan says Man United are still favoured by the referees. They've had more penalties in the last 12 months than Arsenal have had in eight seasons. I completely agree with that. Um, I agree with the fact that Man United are favoured by the referees. It's almost something um, that is kind of embedded into my mind now um, because, you know, it's just been, that's just the way it's been from when I was a little kid um, to now. Man United get favoured and, and that's the way it is. You know, we just, that's it. Um, this is an interesting question. Going back to some comments I made on the gas tank, the 90 Min show. Uh, Talawa Shaw says, do you actually think Brendan Rodgers is a fraud? No, look, I think Brendan Rodgers is a decent coach. Uh, I think Brendan Rodgers has, has got some good players at Leicester City, uh, which is obviously largely the reason that they are where they are. Um I, I I used the term fraud before, probably a little bit strong. Um, but I do think that Brendan Rodgers is overrated. So I do think that Brendan Rodgers gets more credit than he probably deserves when actually he's got a decent squad there. He's got a decent group of players. Leicester were the champions not so long ago. Um, so for them to be in the position they are now, which is floating around the top four, I don't think they'll sustain that. I think they'll drop off a little bit, probably end up closer to sixth, seventh. Um, but I do feel like, like that is largely down to the fact that actually at Leicester, he's taken over a pretty good job in the sense of they've got good owners. They've got a good squad. The recruitment's been good as well. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't see Brendan Rogers as this next Jurgen Klopp, the next, 
uh, Pep Guardiola, like some people label him. And that's kind of where I, where I stand on Brendan. Decent, decent enough coach, good coach. Um, but will he go on to reach the heights of a Jurgen Klopp of a Pep Guardiola? I don't think so. Uh, but that's just my prediction, of course. And everybody's entitled uh, to their opinions. Um, big hello to those of you joining us a little bit late. Uh, no problem. Um, I understand the YouTube notifications came out a little bit uh, late, which uh, I'm sorry, I have absolutely no control over. Um, it's a little bit annoying, but yeah, uh, it is what it is. Well, look, to make it simple, we're going to be streaming at 12.30 and 4.30 uh, every day uh, UK time, unless um, work gets in the way and I have to slightly adjust the times. You'll notice that on Monday, um, when I was on the 90 minute gas tank, I slightly adjusted the stream time to from 4.30 to 5. That will happen from time to time, but I'll always notify you guys. The videos will be scheduled so you'll be able to check in and see. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes that just can't be helped. It's the nature of the job. Um, Let's move on to a little bit of transfer news um, before we uh, before we uh, start to wrap up this edition of the podcast. We're going to start uh, with the update on the future of Socrates. Now, it was understood that Genoa were leading the race to sign the former Greek international defender. However, uh, according to Calcio Mercato, an Italian outlet, uh, they say that the uh, the Genoan the, the Genoese club have called their interest in the Greek defender and they've called their interest because uh, to their knowledge Socrates is uh, in negotiations with other clubs too they want a sure thing they want a guaranteed transfer Genoa are languishing in 17th place in Serie A a club of their size should not be down there uh, they are really struggling but they're desperate uh, uh, sorry and they're desperate to bring in a central defender I don't think that Genoa want to waste their time on somebody who's not uh, sold fully on going there. We understand that Real Betis have inquired about Socrates' availability as well and would be looking to take him uh, away from Arsenal during this transfer window. So it seems like Socrates has got some options on the table and Genoa are not happy to play second fiddle. Either they Either he shows that that's where he wants to go and they'll make their move, um, but they're not willing to run the risk of putting their eggs all in Socrates' basket and ending up at the end of January without having brought in a centre-half. So that is where they stand on that uh, right now. Interesting as well, because Socrates spent a lot of time in Italy earlier on in his career, played for Genoa, played for AC Milan. And you'd have thought that that probably feels like a little bit more of a natural move Um I'm assuming he's got an understanding of the language, if not a fluent one, at least a, um, you know, a basic knowledge, a basic understanding. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I would, I would have thought that Genoa would have been the right destination for Socrates, but it appears that he's, uh, considering other offers. And of course, we don't know what the financial, uh, details are of, of those other offers and whether that is playing a part, whether, um, you know, he's obviously thinking about his young family and where they live and all of that, which obviously plays a part in one's decision as well. So, yeah, um, that's the update on Socrates. So it seems like for the time being, uh, until the uh, Greek defender makes up his mind, Genoa will call their interest in him. Uh, Somerset Gunnar in the chat says, where would one be able to follow the Italian league now? 
First of all, you can follow Simply Serie A, um, the Italian football podcast presented by yours truly. Uh, we are streaming the shows on this channel as well. So you can catch us normally uh, on Monday mornings, myself and Vittorio Campanile, uh, Italian football journalist based in Rome, uh, who joins me uh, for uh, our discussions on a weekly basis. So you can check it out there. But in terms of televised coverage here in the UK, uh, you're looking at Premier Sports. Um you know, yes, it's another subscription. It's something that you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to pay for. But for me, um, I, I listen, I'm a massive fan of the Italian league, so it's worth it for me. And I also work on it. So I kind of need to have that access, but yeah, premier sports, uh, they show, they show a really good amount of, of Serie A games each weekend. Uh, obviously the big ones in the, the big slots, the 7.45 on a Sunday, they show games early on a Sunday as well. They, they start from 11, uh, 11.30 a.m. on a Sunday. So there's plenty of action to get your teeth into. But yeah, Premier Sports uh, is the place to go uh, if you're talking about UK-based coverage. Um, Talawa Shaw asks, are there any hidden gems in Serie A that you would have at Arsenal? Yeah, there are a few. Um, but you know what? I'm going to save it and I'm going to make a note of it now. And we're going to do a podcast specifically on that um, because there's a lot to go through. Uh, so yeah, We'll we'll definitely do that. I've made a note of it, and we'll um we'll have a look. Yeah, uh, twenty eight guy happy also points out in the comments that live score uh, show a lot of the Serie A games. They do, but that's only available on your app on your phone, or I think maybe I don't know if it works on an iPad, uh, but it works on your phone. Do you really want to be watching games on your phone? Me personally, I hate it. I can't stand it. I never get these people who sit there watching things on their phone like this. It drives me mad. I look at my phone way too much as it is. Um, so, yeah, um, but th- that is an option as well if you want to sort of test the waters first. Um, question from one of our members, Rahil Durrani says, would you rather, ha- who would you rather have winning the league, United or Liverpool? That's easy for me and it's Liverpool. And I know sort of Arsenal fans of a slightly older generation have often told me um, that they find it weird that I don't, have this major hatred for Liverpool. It's not that I like Liverpool by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that I hate United more. Um, I grew up during an era where the Arsenal-United rivalry was at its absolute peak, the Fergie-Wenger days. I could not stand them. I still can't stand them. And that would always stick with me because of the era I grew up in. So for me, um, that's an easy question. Uh, I'd rather Liverpool won it than Manchester United every single day of the week. Um, let's see what else uh, you guys are saying. Um, Edward points out that Inter take on Juve this weekend, which will be a massive game towards the top of the division. And he's absolutely right. Uh, Somerset Guna, if you're going to be tuning into Serie A at some point this weekend, that is the game to watch Inter versus Juve. Also, there's a small matter of the Rome derby on Friday between Lazio and Roma as well. So check that one out too. Uh, some really good games coming up this weekend. Um, it's a great weekend to jump on the Serie A bandwagon if you're planning uh, to do it. Uh, Liam Rushworth asks, does Gabriel get straight back into the team when fit? It's interesting one for Mikel Arteta, isn't it? It's a, it's a difficult decision uh, for Mikel to have to make. Um, I mean, me personally, I wouldn't disrupt the defence right now that I think is doing really well. Um I think obviously with Gabriel having been out with COVID, I know they talk about the symptoms that he suffered uh, just being 
minor symptoms, but you can still be physically impacted by it in the sense of the tiredness, the fatigue. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Gabriel was left out for one more game uh, before Mikel Arteta has a real decision to make. Look, it could go either way. And I know it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence again, like I did on the party thing earlier. Um, but, you know, does he get straight back into the team when fit? For me personally, no. Uh, I think that you have to, uh, you know, we talk a lot about culture at the football club and that winning culture. I think a lot of that is um, or comes from or will stem from uh, picking players on merit and when they're playing well, giving them opportunities and when they don't, then pulling them straight back out of the team. I don't think either Rob Holding or Pablo Mari, um, I know David Lewis played the other day, but I don't think he's first choice anymore, my opinion. Uh, but I think that in, I don't think Pablo Marie or Rob Holding have done anything that warrants them being left out of the side. Um, so uh, there you are. Uh, I wouldn't bring him back in, me personally. Um, let's see uh, what else you guys are saying. Um, a uh, lot of Serie A-based questions since we opened uh, that that can of worms. Uh, who do I support from Serie A? Um, I don't support anyone. I just enjoy the league as a neutral. Um, I think it's fantastic. And I think that actually makes it more enjoyable. Um, but if I had to say, name one team that I have a soft spot for, I probably lean towards AC Milan just because I respect them as a football club and everything they've done over the years. The San Siro is my favourite football ground in the world as well, which obviously uh, helps with that as well. But yeah, um, that's where that's where I stand on that. Uh, one more question on Serie A before we go back to everything Arsenal. Um, how did I get into Serie A? Um, I just loved it as a kid. Um, you know, I loved it during the sort of Channel 4 Football Italia days. I'm sure uh, some of you will be old enough to remember that. Uh, with James Richardson. I just loved it. What what I love about Serie A is I accept and acknowledge that in terms of levels, it's not the best league in the world anymore. I think during the 90s and the early 2000s, it absolutely was. It was the best football league in the on the planet by a country mile. Um, I think it lost that, obviously, with the whole Calciopoli scandal um, that obviously damaged it as a brand, damaged it in the eyes of many but for me what I love about Serie A and I think it has probably more than than most of the other leagues you know you're talking about history you're talking about huge football clubs Milan, Inter, Juve, Roma, Lazio, Napoli, Fiorentina you're talking about huge football clubs who have got incredible histories the rivalries are historic the stories the backstories to everything are amazing um I just it, it has this old school feel to it that the Premier League maybe doesn't have anymore. Um, you know, you look at the German, like people talk about the Bundesliga and you're talking about RB Leipzig, a club that were founded just a few years ago. I mean, what history is there there um, when they're punching at the top of the table? I, I, I just don't like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm very much um, a bit of a, uh, you know, what's the word? I'm a bit nostalgic when it comes to football and that's why Serie A appeals to me. I did lose touch with it for a few years. I still followed what was going on from a sort of slightly stepped back position. But over the last three or four years, I've gotten 
really back into it. I think it's in, it's changed as well. As a spectacle, it's become a lot more entertaining. You only have to look at the scores after every weekend to realise that. Um, but yeah, I've I've kind of fallen back in love with it and I'm, I'm delighted to say that I do quite a fair bit of work on it as well, which is great. Um, which is great, yeah. So uh, happy uh, that it is... Uh, that is on the up again. Lots of you uh, talking about it as well. Uh, Channel 4 Classic. Always liked AC Milan. Um, Ross Morgan says, who's your favourite ever player from Serie A? Mine is Batigol. He's definitely up there for me. Ebi Vanda uh, says, Juve Del Piero made me love the club. Uh, Marco Williams saying, 90 Serie A was peak. Ben Taylor, Channel 4 and Eurosports. Big hello to Tezel. says, hello, Harry. Love the work rate. Golazzo, Channel 4. Made us all love Serie A. Yeah, it did. It was fantastic. Um, those were the days, eh? Those were the days. Um, my favourite player, though, from Serie A, it's a hard one, man. Uh, Alessandro Del Piero is definitely up there for me. Uh, Paolo Maldini's up there. Um, I used to love Pete Pavel Nedved. I thought he was a great player as well. Um, you know, you're talking about Andre Shevchenko. You're talking about... Um, no, that's Malas points out Diego Maradona, my favourite player of all time, but unfortunately I didn't catch him uh, playing there because I was too young. But obviously looking back on it, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable football, unbelievable talent. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going back to that point about the, the history of Serie A and why that makes it such an incredible league. When you talk about the Maradona story and you talk about the rise of Napoli during that time, you know, it's the politics behind it. It's the history behind it. It's that rivalry between the North and the South of Italy that really adds to that story and creates that story. Um, and so for me, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I say that Serie A has this amazing history, this deep history that some of the other leagues don't simply don't have. Um, and that's what makes it great. I think the Premier League had it, but I think it's been saturated a little bit by... Um, sort of just the way the modern game's gone. You could argue it's a bad thing that Serie A hasn't completely moved with the times, but I think it's a good thing because for the football purists, the football lovers from the 90s, you look back at it and it gives you this feeling of that, that you don't really get nowadays. And, and so it takes you back to a time, I think, that was better uh, in terms of football, simpler. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me on Serie A. I feel like I've uh, blabbed on about it uh, for a long time, considering this is an Arsenal podcast. But you asked, that's what you got. There you go. Um, let's touch on a couple of other reports that are doing the rounds today before uh, we wrap up this show. But before we do that, quick reminder, if you haven't already, make sure you smash the like button, subscribe to the channel. If you fancy becoming a member, if you're interested in finding out what that means, what you get from it. Uh, click the link in the description for more information and you can have a look at the three different tiers available and decide which, if any, uh, appeal to you. And uh, if you fancy jumping on board, uh, getting access to some perks, but at the same time supporting me uh, to bring you more content um, and higher quality content, um, and to continue doing what I love, which is this, uh, please uh, do check it out, see what you think, and uh, we'd love to have you on board. Uh, right. Those uh, those couple of reports that I just wanted to quickly uh, touch on. Uh, there's been a lot of reports of late linking us with Manos Solomon, uh, the Israeli 
uh, international, of course, currently plays his football for Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, according to The Guardian, a summer move uh, for Mano Solomon is on the cards. Now, his agent and representatives have been quoted of, of late uh, saying that actually they would prefer a summer move for their client away from Shakhtar Donetsk. I, I'm not 100% sold that on this one in terms of how reliable it is. Um, he's a player that has, has caught the eye in the Champions League playing for Shakhtar Donetsk. I'd imagine he's going to have a number of suitors come the summer. Um, I think that the asking price from Shakhtar will be around about the 20, 25 million pound mark. Will Arsenal see that as a worthwhile investment? Will they see other areas in the team as a priority and decide against doing that deal? Quite possibly. We don't know. Um, but I just wanted to bring to your attention that according to The Guardian, a summer move for Mano Solomon that would see him come to the Emirates is on the card. Um, another report is is with regards to Buendia. I feel like we've been talking that one to death over the last few weeks. Um, we heard that the interest had been dropped we heard it was back on and now we're hearing it's dropped again uh, so i don't know really um really where to go um on that uh but at the moment my understanding is there is no movement on the emmy buendia thing uh and i don't expect it to happen at this point but of course it can change it can change that's what's be beautiful about this game things can change like that uh so we'll have to uh we'll have to wait and see Right, that brings me to the end of this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, uh, whereby we discussed a number of things. We discussed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's opinion. We touched on some of the latest reports uh, with regards to some of our transfer targets. We discussed uh, the future of Socrates. And we also, unexpectedly, but that's the beauty of having a live chat, and that's what I love about interacting with you guys, unexpectedly, we discussed some Serie A as well. Right. Catch you all later on for our second stream of the day. Come join me at 4.30 p.m. Or if you're listening on the podcast, it will be available first thing tomorrow morning. My chat with Dan Mountney of formerly of the Islington Gazette and now of the uh, Guna fanzine. Uh, he's a great journalist with lots of experience covering the Arsenal. So I'm sure he'll provide us with some great views and some great insight. Until then, take care of yourselves and stay safe. Cheers. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.